Well, good morning. Greetings from the Marathon campus, and uh, it's just a, a privilege to be able to be here this morning. Um, we're going to be actually, this is one of those times where we sort of sing the sermon ahead of time. So now you've gotten a glimpse into this, the theme of the sermon this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You can go ahead and turn there, but let's pray for our sermon time here. Father, as we open your word, would you just open our minds, open our hearts to whatever you want to teach us this morning. May you be honored in this place. May you use my words in whatever way you see fit and keep me from saying anything foolish or contrary to your word. May you just have your way here and now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Some time ago, it was reported that a coach of a major NFL team, when he transitioned from coaching college to coaching the NFL, he divorced his wife of 26 years. His rationale was this. When I was coaching in college, I needed a wife to go to social functions, and, and I needed a way to prove to families that would be entrusting their young men to my football program that I would be good to their sons. And so she was necessary then, but now she's a distraction. My priorities are winning football and, and then my sons. Does that make you totally cringe like it makes me cringe? I mean, that is just all wrong, isn't it? But in contrast, Tom Landry, a former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, said this. He said, the thrill of knowing Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I think God has put me in a very special place, and he expects me to use it to his glory in everything I do. Whether coaching football or talking to the press, I'm always a Christian. Christ is first, family second, and football third. In another interview, Landry said, in 1958, I did something that everyone who wants to be successful must do. I determined my priorities in life, God, family, and then football. I think Tom Landry had the right priorities. But let's face it, sometimes our priorities can get confused, can't they? That generally leads to all kinds of trouble. So we want to keep our priorities in order and be fully devoted to the things that really matter. And that necessarily begins with our commitment to the Lord. And that's part of the theme of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let's look there together. We read these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is one of the passages that I label all of life verses. I've compiled a list of all of life verses that are actually in your bulletin. You don't need to look at them right now. But these are verses that so summarize the Christian life that if I can memorize those and put them into practice, I'm going to live a good life for the glory of God. They just so encapsulate God's will for us. So let's unpack these verses a little bit. Right from the beginning, we read the word, therefore. And as you know, when we read the word, therefore, we want to ask, what is the therefore, therefore? Because it always connects one important concept to another. And so what has come in the first 11 chapters of Romans are some things like this. Paul has talked about the sinfulness of mankind, God's sovereignty over all things, including creation and salvation, the impossibility of trying to please God on our own power, the death to sin that we should experience as believers, the daily struggle we fight against temptation, the life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, and the supreme mercy of God in offering salvation through Jesus Christ. And the verses that immediately precede chapter 12 are a hymn of praise to our sovereign and wise God. And then we come to chapter 12, 
And this passage is a pivot point in the entire book of Romans. It goes from foundational truth that he's laid in the first 11 chapters to how we live it out for the remainder of the book. These verses highlight the appropriate response we should have when we truly grasp the greatness of God and all that He has done for us. So let's read verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because of God's mercies, because of who He is and what He has done, especially in saving us, we respond by giving ourselves to Him. This is what a living sacrifice is. Now, in the Old Testament, what was the purpose of sacrifice? It it was the killing of an unblemished, perfect animal to atone for sins. But Christ has already died for our sins. We no longer need to offer a dead sacrifice. Instead, we offer a living sacrifice. And that living sacrifice is our bodies, or really our whole selves. We give our whole selves to God. We no longer have to present sacrifices under the Old Testament system. Our sacrifices in giving Him our lives, living completely for Him, not half-hearted, it's all or nothing. God doesn't just ask us for what we can give. He actually asks for the entire giver. He asks for you. He asks for me. We don't offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to gain salvation because salvation has already been given through Jesus Christ. Instead, we surrender ourselves as a natural response to the salvation already given to us. And becoming a living sacrifice is an act of worship and devotion and gratitude. This is fully pleasing to God. It's not a simple one-time action. It's all of life. It's all of life. The story is told of a girl who did something a little unusual during the offering time. When the basket came by her, she set it on the floor and stood in it. And somebody nearby said, what are you doing? And, and she said, well, in Sunday school, I learned that I'm supposed to give my whole self to God. It's a pretty good word picture, don't you think? Sometimes those simple points of view are the best. Verse 1 says that this is our spiritual worship. Other translations might say it's our reasonable service. Either way, it follows this logic. If God has done so many great things for me, then the very least I can do is live for Him. There's a direct connection. The hymn writer Isaac Watts wrote these words, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life. My all. This kind of worship is not just what we do in church. It's 24-7, 365. It's all of life. We want to be fully devoted. This concept is clarified and extended in verse 2. We read these words. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And these words help us understand the concept of living sacrifice a little bit better. So, what does it mean to be conformed to the world? We have to understand it before we can avoid it. To conform is to take the shape of something or to look like something. Picture it this way. Water will conform to the shape of the container that it's in. If the container is short and wide, that's what the water will be. If the container is tall and thin, that's what the water will be. That's what it means to conform. As Christians... We are in the world, but we don't want to be like the world. We don't want to be conformed to the world. We don't want to adopt the world's thoughts and attitudes and actions. Why is that? It's because the mindset of the world is counter to God's mindset. 
This culture has increasingly embraced things like gay marriage and easy divorce and intimacy outside of marriage and abortion and physician-assisted suicide, vulgar language, marijuana use, and so much more is, is, is sort of normal and okay. But we as Christians know that that's not okay. We don't want to conform to ungodly ways of thinking. We read these words in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Hold that thought in your head because we're going to be talking about the will of God a little bit more in just a moment. But as Christians, we don't want to let our minds get mired by the thought patterns of this world. But let's notice that the instruction in verse 2 doesn't just tell us what to avoid. There, there are people that think that the Christian life is just a whole list of things that we're to avoid. Don't do this. Don't do that. Thou shalt not. But that's not what the Christian life is. It is saying no to things that we don't want to do, but it's also saying yes to something so much better. So what are we supposed to say yes to? We want to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Transformation, it's a change from the inside out. It's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. All the building blocks are still there, but there's an entirely new form. It looks entirely different. That's what transformation is. And a key to our transformation as believers in Jesus Christ is the renewal of our minds. The mind is first, everything else follows. Our attitudes and our values affect our lifestyle and our daily decisions. So the mind is the first place to work. How do we do that? By the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit. The renewed mind is saturated with and controlled by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So let's ask ourselves this question. What are we feeding our minds with? Are we feeding our minds with things that help us renew our minds and draw us closer to God? Think of making a pot of soup. We put in all kinds of good ingredients, but if one of those ingredients is spoiled, it affects the whole pot of soup. And, and same with our minds. We want to make sure that we're putting in good things and not putting in things that are spoiled or inappropriate. But are we sometimes filling our minds with things that harm us? Are we allowing our minds to conform to worldly ways of thinking, or are we really standing strong and protecting ourselves from the hollow philosophies of the world? Think about a couple of practical ways to protect our minds from worldly ways of thinking. Here are a couple. Uh, we want to ensure that our most influential friends are Christians. We certainly have all kinds of friends, but our most influential ones, we want to be ones that love Christ. We want to monitor the media that we fill our minds with, music, TV, websites, movies. And I'm not saying that all that stuff is bad. I, mo people who know me know that I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Absolutely love Star Wars. I got Star Wars all over the place. But I can't adopt that worldview and that religion that's contained in those movies. I need to make sure that I'm discriminating, that I'm, I'm understanding how that is different from the world. I need to make sure that that doesn't influence me, even as I might enjoy that medium. We also want to learn how to identify and disregard advice from others that follows worldly standards instead of God's standards. We want to be able to discern what is good and right and what is pleasing to God and what is consistent with His Word, and then filter out suggestions that don't conform to God's ways. How do we fill our minds with God's ways of thinking? We read His Word. We listen to His Holy Spirit. We seek counsel from God-honoring individuals. And we fill our mental spaces with things that honor God. Maybe Christian music or 
good podcasts or books, just straight Bible reading, things that honor the Lord. And as, God wor- as God's Word saturates our minds, it affects our thinking, and eventually our actions will follow. The verb tenses in verse 2, back in Romans 12, help us understand the commandment even just a little bit more. It says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. And in Greek, these are present imperatives. So they're really saying, keep not being conformed. Keep being transformed. It's an active, ongoing, lifelong process. We might think of it as a cooperative command. We do our part by making sure that we're filling our minds with things that are good, and God does His part by sustaining us, helping us understand His will even more. As we follow God's ways and as we listen to His Spirit, God's Holy Spirit speaks to us and helps us to understand His ways and follow His will. A renewed mind leads to a transformed life, which leads to knowing the will of God and pleasing Him. Let's look at the last words of verse 2. That you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We want to follow God's will. We want to test God's will. We want to start out in that direction and then find that He continues to lead us. We can know the will of God. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17 say this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus told us that He came to do the will of the Father. We likewise want to find and follow God's will. But here's a question I get very often as I talk to people. They say, what is God's will for me? They might be struggling to find a, a, a new job or, or to decide if they should marry this person or, or to decide if they ought to move to a new town or, or whatever, other, those kinds of big decisions. And this is what we mean when we talk about the specific will of God. We'll talk a little bit more about the specific will in a moment, but let's first talk about the other kind of will of God, and that's His general will. That's what God wants for every one of His believers. There are a number of verses that express God's general will for believers. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Earlier I talked about Romans 12, 1 and 2 being all of life verses. These other verses I just read are also on that list of all of life verses. They're verses that so clearly show us God's general will for all of us that if we can commit them to memory and even more commit them to practice, we'll be living well for the Lord. And if we follow these aspects of God's general will, then we can understand His specific will much better. His general will is for all of us. His specific will is maybe what He wants you to do or me to do, and it will be different from one person to the next. And finding God's specific will is sometimes a little bit challenging, and I think perhaps in our generation even more than generations before. Because no longer do we just grow up and, and, and marry the, somebody from our high school class and, and then take over the family business or the family farm. 
Now we can go onto a dating website and see a, a vast number of people that might be potential mates. Or we, we can go on to what, job websites and find all kinds of potential jobs. And the sheer magnitude of the volume of choices that we have available almost is paralyzing, especially if we're trying to find the right job or, or the, the perfect mate or, or whatever we're looking for. We're trying to find it just perfect. It, it can almost paralyze us sometimes. What we want to do sometimes is just move forward with what we know of what God has told us and avoid overthinking. Here's what I found. If we are on the path of following God's general will, He will show us very clearly His specific will. If we are sincerely seeking God's will for our lives, He will not let us miss it. I'll say that again. If we are sincerely seeking God's will for our lives, He will not let us miss it. So that's really the point of this passage in Romans. Instead of seeking God's will, we seek God. And then He will show us the rest. Following God's will is the path to His greatest blessings. I'm not talking about material blessings. I'm talking about joy and peace that sustain us no matter what the external circumstances might be, no matter what we're going through. If we are living in God's will, we're in the place where He blesses us and sustains us and strengthens us. So let's center our lives on God's truth. World's truth shifts all the time. If we center our lives on God's truth, God's word, God's ways, that is a firm foundation. When we are fully devoted to God and have let our minds be renewed and our lives transformed, everything comes into better perspective. Our devotion to God first will clarify the rest of our priorities. Do you remember what Tom Landry said? His list of of priorities in his life. It was God, then family, then football. I think that's right on, but it's kind of surprising maybe from an NFL coach, isn't it? But that was his priority list. I've Going through Scripture and, and going through my own life up to this point, I've put together a priority list that I might suggest we consider. In order, it would be this. God, then husband and wife, then children, then work, then church, than everything else. Let me clarify, lest we have any misunderstandings. When I talk about devotion to God, I'm talking about daily Bible study. I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about getting together with Christian friends. I'm talking about being part of a care group. I'm talking about coming to Sunday worship. When you see church a little bit later, that has more to do with how we serve in church. Whether we serve in Generation 180 or Next Generation Children's Ministries, or as an usher or a worship team member or teaching Sunday school, whatever it is that we may be doing, that comes a little bit later. But first, our devotion to God, our private and public worship time, all of those things come into that first category. And then our husband and wife, then our children, then our work using the talents and abilities God has given us, then church, then everything else. What are some benefits to keeping our priorities in order? Well, when God is first in our lives, then we're in the best place to understand what He wants for us. When our spouse knows that he or she is second only to God, then our spouse knows that we value them and treasure them. When our children know that we treasure them above all other commitments, second only to God and and our husband or wife, then our children know that they are special, that they are loved. And that's how I want my family to be. I'm sure that's how you want your family to be too. But let's be honest, our priorities do get skewed. So many things compete for our attention and our allegiance. Things like work, because the job is never done, and work really would take all of our time if we let it. Or maybe status. We want to get to that next promotion, or we want to reach that economic plateau, or that certain portfolio level where we know that we're in good shape. 
And again, those things aren't necessarily wrong, but they're wrong if they start to usurp other priorities, if we start to put them too high on the priority list. Other things that compete for our attention include sports teams. Coaches sometimes can demand too much, and I know there may be many coaches in here, and, and maybe the schedules are just right, but sometimes coaches can really demand too much of our kids and our kids' parents. In other words, us. We want to make sure that we're keeping things in perspective. Here's one thing that competes for attention in my life and in my house. I'll be a little vulnerable here. These wonderful things. Great tools of communication, great tools of information, but they certainly can captivate our hearts and minds, can't they? We can get on one of these things and suddenly it's a half hour later and we have no idea what we've done over that last half hour. Even when we have an electronics-free supper sometimes and all the phones are on the counter and we're at the table and suddenly we hear the phone ring or ding or whatever and, and we start to wonder, wait a minute, what is that? Is that something I need to give attention to? And suddenly our minds aren't even on the electronics-free supper that we're supposed to be having. It's on whatever is happening on that phone across the room. Am I, am I hitting some, some sore spots here, some tender spots? I, I know it's true for me. Or how about this? Have you had your kids come to you and say, would you please put that down so I can talk to you? I've had that happen. I've had to learn how to keep this in a little better control, and my family would probably tell you I still have things to learn. So let's not let these things usurp our minds and, and change our priorities and, and shift the ways that we spend our time away from the things that are truly important. Because when our priorities get confused, we lose sight of God's word and his ways. We lose interest in his word. We become disconnected from our spouse and our children. We set a bad example for our kids. And honestly, then we get into a pattern of working harder and harder and harder. It's sort of like a, a mouse on a wheel, always working but never getting anywhere. That's not the kind of life that we want to live because we miss out on God's greatest blessings. So a renewed mind and a transformed life are valuable and precious. Being fully devoted to God has to come first. Have you noticed, though, that sometimes people will not care a bit about following God until something awful happens in their lives, and then suddenly they get very religious, and they're suddenly asking you to pray for them, and, and they're seeking all kinds of things. They're not really interested in following God, but they're interested in maybe getting God's help for something in the immediate need. But think about it this way. Will God bless our finances if we fail to tithe? Will God bless a dating relationship if we're engaging in behaviors that dishonor God? Will God bless our marriage if we have not placed Him as first focus? Will God bless our work if we're engaged in dishonest practices of any kind? Really, the answer to all of those questions is no. So, again, first, being devoted to God. Then everything else follows. That's the correct order of things, being fully devoted first and foremost. So, so many of us know these truths quite well. Why is it hard sometimes? We talked a little bit about distractions, but we really do face a, a, a triad of challenges, very active challenges. And words for them would, would be the world, the flesh, and the devil. We battle against this. We're in the middle of a battle. And we battle against the world, the negative influences of the world, against the world's desires to either make us think the way that it thinks or otherwise marginalize us as being you know, out there and, and not thinking right and, and just don't listen to those strange people. That's a, that's a strong force. 
in our lives. Or as for our flesh, we all battle sinful desires all the time. We battle desires that want to put me first and, and, and forget the fact that I haven't really spent time with my family. I still want to do me first. Or maybe in our flesh, we battle uh, tiredness and, and, and we battle sinful pursuits and, and things that we want to do. And we don't want those things to distract us from what's really important. And then we have an active enemy, the devil. The devil wants to destroy all that God has created as good. That includes marriage. That includes family. That includes work that honors God. It includes all of those things. And the devil is out to destroy those things and to separate us from God. And he is actively working. The Bible tells us that he is our adversary, that he, that he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We are in the middle of a battlefield. It's a battle that we're all engaged in. When we belong to Christ, we're in that battle, and we don't want to forget that. We want to remember that at all times. The Bible, in that verse that I just quoted loosely there, also then says, resist him, standing firm in your faith. God has given us the ability to resist. God has given us the ability to say no to Satan, to say no to the world, to say no to the flesh, and instead follow God. We want to fight the battle through God's Word, through prayer, and through remaining fully devoted to God first. This is the path of success as God defines success. So that list of priorities that I highlighted, we'll put them back up again. God, then husband or wife, then children, then work, then church, how we serve the church, and everything else. Your list might look a little bit different depending on the station of life that you're in, but I encourage you to consider a list like this. So what are some very practical ways that we can keep God first? Well, I've said them already, I'll reiterate them. Bible reading, prayer, having accountability partners, people that challenge us to follow God's will and, and that ask us how we're doing and that pray for us. And involvement in our church family, living the Christian life. We're not, the, the Christian life wasn't meant to be lived individually. It's meant to be lived in community. That's why we come together. That's why we help one another. And so when we do that, that helps us keep God first in our lives. What are some practical ways to keep our spouses second only to God? Date nights are crucial, absolutely crucial. It's worth the cost of a dinner and a babysitter to go out and spend a little bit of time with our husband or wife. And if money's a little tight, then pack a picnic supper and just make it simple. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. If money's really tight, put the kids to bed early and have a date down in a different part of the house or something. But whatever it is, Take those date nights. Take special times away from home, maybe a few hours or even a few days. Take those times. Or, or find things that, that you like to do together. It, it may be going out and, and bowling or dancing or, or going to concerts or traveling to special places. Whatever those things are, invest in those things together as husband and wife. Keep those priorities. One of the things that we do in our house, I, and I may have mentioned this before, but it bears mentioning again, we have what we call candle time. And candle time is when Kristen and I go into the living room or something, and we'll light a candle on the table. And the kids know that if they walk in and they see us together and they see a candle lit, that they need to turn around and walk out. They know that this is special time for mom and dad. And if they interrupt us, the punishment is something really awful like having to make everybody's bed in the whole house for an entire month or something like that. The only reason that they are to interrupt us is if there is blood gushing somewhere and a 911 call being made. Because that time that Kristen and I have together is so important. 
And the kids have learned over time that when Kristen and I emerge from those times together, it might be five minutes, it might be 30 minutes, it might be an hour, whatever time we need to connect the two of us. When we emerge from that time, we are better able to meet our kids' needs then. And so they've learned the value of that. Now, actually, we don't even light the candle much anymore. <laughs> we just get together and, and the kids will walk in and say, is the candle lit? We'll say, yes, they'll scurry off. My, uh, my youngest daughter the other day, we were having candle time, and, and so she went into the kitchen and got a candle and lit it and brought it in and set it next to us. It was really cute. <laughs> we want to keep our kids also as priorities. After God and our husband or wife, we want to keep our kids as priorities by doing things like, we said, putting electronics away, giving our kids the gift of our time and attention, coming home from work on time, taking our vacations and, and using that time with our wife and our children, uh, planning special time with the kids together or, or one at a time. Uh, one thing that, our, that helps our kids know that they're special is when we take an interest in whatever they take interest in. So whether it be music or sports or, or Legos, whatever it is, if they're interested in it, we want to be interested in it too and show them that interest. That may mean that we have to sit through some really crazy sports events or some really uh, crazy band uh, concerts or whatever. But we treasure our kids, and we treasure their participation, and we encourage them with our attendance, with our time, and with our words. There are times when we need to make choices, and if we make our choices according to our priorities, that really helps keep things clear. Now, sometimes our priorities do need to shift a little bit. Sometimes our work will need a little bit of extra time and attention. But let's let those times be few, and let's keep our priorities straight. God, then husband or wife, children, work church, and then everything else. May God help us to live fully devoted to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we treasure Your Word. We treasure these truths. Help us to put them into practice. Help us to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and all that would distract us away. Give us courage. Give us perseverance to live lives fully devoted to You for Your glory and honor and for the advancement of your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.